Welcome to the Zen Stoic Podcast, where we take philosophies of Zen and Stoicism that have been helping people for thousands of years, and we bring them into modern discussions to create mental wellness and vitality. Welcome, everybody, to the Zen Stoic Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Pierantoni. Here, I have a special guest with me today. I have Pradeep Sangha, who is widely known as the strategist for men in business and teaches men how to become a profit-multiplying powerhouse. His personal mission is to help men grow their businesses massively, increase their personal fulfillment in life, and improve their relationships with their wife and kids. He is the founder of the movement, hashtag men who win, men who are mindful alpha males. As an award-winning author, entrepreneur, speaker, podcaster, business coach, husband, and father, Pradeep knows exactly how tough it can be to balance a successful business with a happy family. After studying and working with some of the most successful men around the globe, Pradeep shows men the neuroscience behind becoming limitless. Pradeep, welcome to the show. I'm so honored to have you here, man. Just reading that bio gave me chills. Uh, so if you, if you would, uh, if you could tell the audience just a little bit more about you and, and how you got into coaching men specifically, and specifically mindful alpha males. Love that term there. Yeah, thank you. And first of all, I just want to say thanks for having me on your show. I truly appreciate that. And I love the work that you're doing. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, well, I'm going to try to keep this short. So if I, if I go too long, just let me know. Oh, uh, no worries, man. Go for it. No, we got time. <laughs> so yeah, basically I work with guys specifically and men in business, A, for, or actually for two reasons, because I have a business background, I understand business, and B, because um, I have the personal development side. And I see a lot of guys these days in business because... Uh, there's, they're so caught up with growing their business and, and trying to fulfill and, and provide for their family that they don't end up living that, that you can say that happy, enjoy, life filled with enjoyment or fulfillment themselves. And I see a lot of relationships struggling and I see a lot of kids uh, struggling in terms of not having their father present. Yes. So in the, in, in the U.S. alone, there's over 50% of the children that are being raised without full-time fathers. So. Wow. This isn't a stat. This is a uh, you know this is an epidemic, mm-hmm. and it's only getting worse. And we're seeing you know divorce rates have kind of capped off. Um, you know they're at that high level, and and they're not they're not going up anymore significantly. But you know having it at that level isn't really healthy for society as well. So you could say um, I'm I'm a total optimist when it comes to things, but mm-hmm. I I like to call it as it is as well. And so you add on the changes with technology, the things like smartphones, for example, um, yes. AI, what that's doing to society. And if you walk into any restaurant today, you can see a couple that will be completely on their phones and not interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. Or children, which is a really interesting thing. I, I, you know, I, I, I've been um, into Disney quite a bit in terms of not only with my kids, yes. but also learning their principles as well, their business principles over the last decade. And, and Disney did this one study and they said, what is the biggest impact on the experience that we're having right now with our children, um, with the children that come visit our theme parks? And the number one thing that they came to was their parents' smartphones. Wow. That was, yeah, it was so significant. They're like, wow, this is drastically impacting the experience here in this theme park for the kids and not in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff is impacting society. It's impacting relationships It's impacting men. And then on top of that, you add this whole movement when it comes to me too, or toxic masculinity, yes. guys are in a really tough spot. They don't know what it means to be a guy anymore, how to act as a guy, you know, mm-hmm. what it means to be in a, in a relationship. Um, you know, are they being 
too masculine, not masculine enough. So there's that borderline there that they're not, un- they're very unsure of themselves from that standpoint. Yes. Um, I get a lot of women these days, actually probably half of my business is from women and referrals saying, please really? work with my men. Yeah, it's incredible. We just wow. passed that <laughs> late last year, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so that all in itself um, has really compacted together for me to say, this is something that I can work with because I have these skills and that, that's my experience as well. But there's also a personal side to it. So yes. my, my father immigrated here from India back in the early 70s and he literally came here with nothing. Mm-hmm. And him and my mother, they didn't have any formal education. So all they knew how to do was work hard. Yes. And they got a job on an orchard, uh, which was physical labor, picking apples, pruning trees and digging ditches and all that kind of stuff. And that's how I grew up in my early, uh, you can say childhood and even teens and early adulthood was watching my parents, you know, work their butts off for us. And then my mm-hmm. dad eventually became his own, basically um, a business owner. He bought his own orchard and, and eventually got to a point where he was successful. But I also saw him struggle. Yes. I saw him struggle with the challenges of raising a family, having that business, um, and the challenges of, of just being a man with not having the resources, not being able to, when you're having a tough time, go and, and reach out to someone to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm having challenges with this. You know, is there someone I can talk to? Mm. Because men, it's a lot better now, but it wasn't that great back in the days. It wasn't exactly available readily exactly. at least. Exactly. So I saw my, my father struggle from that standpoint. My father struggled with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I saw some real, you can say, not so happy times growing up as well. Yes. So that is a big reason why I do what I do because I saw my father struggle and I look back and I say, if my father had a mentor that had the skills that I have, mm-hmm. maybe his life would be a little bit more fulfilling. In fact, I know it would be if he had the ability to do that. Yes, absolutely. So that, that's what drives me forward. My, my father actually passed away a year and a half ago suddenly. Mm. But that was kind of the impetus. That was almost like him sending me a message to say, keep going. Um, yes. you know, just, and go even harder because there's a lot of guys out there that need the help, that need the insight. And we're not even talking about grant, groundbreaking stuff, right? This is simple stuff, just a few tweaks mm-hmm. that can change a man's life completely and change his relationship and change how he is as a father and, and be more present there. So yes. all of that is uh, basically my mission, you can say. I like it. I like it. And it, it's really admirable to see the way that you took your experience with your father and really turned it into a purpose that not only serves you and solves the problems in your life and for your family, but also for the greater good of others around you and your community and essentially the world with all the content that you're putting out and the, the skill sets that weren't available once upon a time. And it's, uh, it's one way of honoring your father's life to do so. So I really admire that um, because, I mean, I've been through the loss of a parent before, right? I, when I was seven years old, I lost my mom and you know, you, it's pretty tough as a seven year old to go through something like that. But when you realize that a person's death is about them and not about you, you can honor their life and turn the memory of them into more fuel for your purpose to make sure that for yourself and your own image of them, their life wasn't in vain. And you're able to carry the torch, so to speak. So I always, I always think about that with my mom. And that's what, what sparked for me as soon as you started talking about your dad and the way that you've you know, kind of put this together. So it's, it, it's honorable. I appreciate you sharing it, man. 
Yeah, thank you. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose a parent at that age. That is such a crucial age for for children. Yeah. So you turned out pretty darn good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Pradeep. I appreciate that. Um, one question that I, I thought was uh, that, that immediately came up when I went through your bio here before, you know, putting up this podcast together is the term mindful alpha males. So I'm really curious from your perspective. Um, and one of the reasons I asked this is because one big misconception about stoicism, which is a part of the philosophy that we talk about on this podcast, is that stoicism means to not have emotions or to cover your emotions, not show them. And I realized that that is not the case at all, right? That couldn't be further from the truth. And so it reminds me of this term you have here, the mindful alpha male. And in your perspective, Pradeep, what is the difference between the, what was traditionally known as an alpha male and a mindful alpha male? Yeah, well, that's a really good question because I think the term alpha male, if you take a look at the origins of alpha, it's a Greek term for basically beginning of Mm -hmm. origin. And so that's what every man needs to be. So men were different back a thousand years ago, even a few hundred years ago, where you had to take full accountability for your life. If if you didn't do something, your family would basically starve. And -hmm. I think we've lost our way a little bit for men. Actually, we lost our way quite a bit where we're not taking accountability anymore. And we're in a lot of aspects following what society or other people are telling us to do. So the term alpha has really been misused or abused and misinterpreted Mm -hmm. from that standpoint. And what most people see is they say, well, what's kind of like the alpha wolf, right? Which is this wolf that just attacks the other wolves and keeps them down. That's not the point. If you actually study wolves and how they behave, for example, the alpha is there to protect the pack, is there to provide for the pack. Mm. That's what the term alpha means. And it really means creating your destiny. Yes. It means take accountability and create your destiny so that you're able to live that life that you've always wanted to live rather than following the one or the circumstances that are given to you. Mm. On the other side, when it comes to mindfulness, because we have men that are alpha males out there, but, and and I'm not going to name names. There's some very powerful men in some key positions around the world that are, you can say alpha males, but they're not being very mindful. And right. when I'm talking about mindful, I mean taking a look and being present, not only in the moment in terms of what their actions are, are, are doing today, but also the ripple effect. How does it impact other people? How is it going to impact the environment? How is it going to impact the world, the animals, you know, the generations to come? And so that's important. So there's an external piece to that, but also internally as well. And you talked about the emotional aspect, which is very big. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's a big component of the work that I do with men is getting them to harness and leverage their emotions because most people are the victim of their emotions. Oh, yeah. And so... Big time. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so when you're mindful, you're able to really embrace your emotions and understand there's a, you know, I, I love... Uh, I love the fact that you're, you know, you're into Buddhism, for example, and the Dalai Lama mm-hmm. talks about one of his, one of his favorite sayings, and I, and I love this, is really, you know, when you have an emotion, especially if it's a negative one, um, he says that he, he allows them to come in and, and sits down and has a cup of tea with them and <laughs> has the conversation to say, you know, why are you here? What is it that you want? And then when it's time for that emotion to go, he just lets them go. Yes. And so I kind of take that and say, you know, come on, let's have a, let's have a beer. Let's have a shot. Let's have a conversation. And then, you know, mm. when it's time for you to go, it's time for you to go. But those emotions are there to embrace. They're telling us something. They're yes. telling us something that, okay, we're on the right path or maybe we're not on the right path. So that whole component really comes together to say, okay, you can be a man that can create your life, create fulfillment. And really, whether there's a business or the, the personal side, have that family that you've always wanted to have, have that relationship. 
and have the emotional piece to it as well. Be mindful and be a contributor to society. Mm -hmm. I think those are the things that we need to do, especially as men, is take a look and say, okay, we're not only here to provide for, you know, ourselves, our immediate family, maybe even our extended family, but even the community as a whole. Yes, most definitely. And, And that, I mean, I have a very similar perspective on what it means to be alpha. I never saw it as attempting to be domineering or arrogant in any way, but more so as one who provides, who creates, uh, who takes care of their people. And that's how I always saw the the true meaning of it, which uh, I feel is aligned with what you're saying. One thing that I thought was really interesting was your perspective on uh, that you just shared around what the Dalai Lama says with his emotions, how he you know invites them for a cup of tea, sits with them and, and essentially asks why they're here. It's very closely aligned with the way that I, I take emotions and how to deal with them with clients and students that come my way. And one thing that I talk about with Zen Stoicism, and, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, is how I actually no longer look at emotions as positive or negative. I believe that emotions simply are and that you have unpleasant or pleasant emotions. Unpleasant being when your perception and the reality does not match and pleasant being when they do match. And if they don't match, it is a call to action of some sort, either a call to action to change the perception of how you look at things or a call to action to actually make a new decision, take an action. And when you've learned all that you needed to learn from your emotions, they disappear, they go away. But if you keep pushing them away, if we drink them away or we stuff our faces with food or we watch TV or just distract ourselves in our work, with no real purpose, it simply covers them up, but they continue to come back. Have you ever had any experience with something like that before? Oh, absolutely. I think what you said is bang on. Um, I don't know if I have much to add to that, in fact, because, <laughs> because I think that was such a great interpretation of emotions. So uh, the one thing, you know, for me, I had to change as well, because, you know, we're, we're going into the philosophical and the spiritual realm as well, mm-hmm. is, you know, there's always, there's two opposite ends of everything. Those, that's a polarity of life. That's a polarity of energy. Yes. And so uh, I no longer take a look at good and bad. It took me a while to figure that out as well. I, always, mm-hmm. I take a look at it as, is it empowering me or is it disempowering me in life? That's a good way to look at it. And so everything is from that angle. And it just neutralizes a lot of things. um, Because the the times when I had reacted when I was charged, for example, Mm -hmm. I no longer have that reaction anymore. I have a more, you can say, mindful reaction. Because it's like, okay, how do I embrace this? So yes, I do have those. I think when it comes to emotions, and this is where we kind of get into the neuroscience of things, because I'm kind of a neuroscience geek from that perspective. That's uh, what uh, I was about to ask you next anyway, so this is yeah. perfect. <laughs> so, you know, we, we as human beings, if we're taking a look at our physical being here, we do things and based on our feelings, right? Yes. Um, and, and that's basically how our brain is designed. That's how our nervous system is designed. And we actually have five levels of feelings. And most people don't understand that. We have our emotions, which are just representations of of the environmental stimuli. There's also our mood, for example, which can hang on for a couple of days. We have our personality feelings, which is, you know, basically our personality in terms of how we deal with feelings. And that's, that's a lot longer, right? That's, Mm -hmm. we've, we've been trained to do that over years and years and years and even decades. There's a cultural level of, of feelings or emotions, for example, like, you know, you can go to some uh, countries, here's an example. And when someone dies, they're throwing a party and they're happy about it. 
Yes. That's because from a cultural standpoint, they've conditioned people from that perspective. There's also, um, there's also you can say, our inner, um, inner balance with our uh, emotional homeostasis, or sorry, our inner homeostasis when it comes to our body. Because if we don't eat properly, for example, or if we're allergic to something, we eat it, our body tells us that, and that impacts our feelings. Yeah. So all of these layers impact how we react as human beings, and they overlap with each other, and they cause us to react in a certain way, in an empowering way or a disempowering way. So when we break that down and show people that, um, and it's a lot easier to say, oh, okay, you know what? I'm feeling this way because of this. It might not be based on an emotion per se. It could just be an internal thing. I ate something that's just not making me feel good. Correct. Right? Yeah, so there's all a, of the, a way different way of describing it. Yes. And so there's all of these layers that come together that really add or you could say take away from our quality of life. Mm. And when you work with people and... Okay, because there, there's an experience that I've had coaching, and I'm sure you've run into this before. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is when somebody is feeling a certain type of way about a fact or a circumstance in their life. So just as a, as a preface, they're complaining about something that is objectively true. It's not like they're making it up or blowing it out of proportion. But the way that they're using that fact or circumstance is against themselves. So in other words, in your terms, disempowering themselves. In terms of that experience, when somebody uses a fact or circumstance to disempower themselves, what do, what do you usually do to deal with that? Well, there's, there's typically a meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what we try to get to, is yes. what is the meaning that they're giving to this fact, mm-hmm. right? And what's the overall, and then there's a meaning, there's also the belief system that's tied to that. And then that ties into how they, their, their model of the world. Yes. So, you know, going back to what you're talking about. So all of that comes into play. So it's really identifying each piece. You know, what's their belief system, for example? How is that tied to this? You know, what is the meaning that they're creating from that, that, um, that instance? Yeah, it's a fact. Yeah, for example, my father passed away. Mm-hmm. I had a choice. I had a choice to say, wow, you know, this is something I never expected. Yes. Um, this is something that rocked our family. This is something that, you know, we just, you know, my dream was to, Um, you know, my dad was at the point where he wanted to hit 65, for example, 65 years old, he was 64 and a half. Mm -hmm. And that for me was a big, you can say a kick in the gut because I was like, wow, that was a point in time where he said, you know, he was going to tell himself that he did it and we were going to take more family vacations. So my brother has his own family. I have my own family, but we never really went on family vacations because we were all kind of, you know, busy. Yes. And so we were going to go on our family vacations all together, but that's not going to happen with my dad anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's how we look at it. What's the meaning behind that? So I could say, hey, look, you know, that sucks. You know, and I have so many regrets. Or I could say, you know what? Now my dad gave me a purpose and a meaning to actually do that, to take more vacations. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you talk about that because one of the most profound lessons that I've ever gotten, at least, is that we don't learn to value and respect ourselves and the people in our lives until we experience some form of loss. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can tell ourselves all we want, how valuable something is, but the value of something doesn't really show itself until an attachment has been broken. In other words, it's been taken away from us. Like, like for instance, the perception of, the expectation of being able to spend more time with a parent than actually 
life gave you. Mm-hmm. And when those things get torn away, you're like, oh, wow, I, I really understand their lessons and, and the things that they taught me. Now, I understand the value of, of spending time with loved ones. Um, and it's really interesting because it, it really, it's bittersweet because it, it doesn't feel good, <laughs> but it certainly fuels up the purpose and allows you to move forward and serve not just yourself, but those that you care about and those around you. Yeah. Yeah. That is amazing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I'm, I'm curious about, one thing we talk about a lot with stoicism is this idea of having your principles, right? And some of the big principles are things like focusing on what you can control, acting in ways that serve yourself and the greater good around you. What are some of your principles, Pradeep, that you, you use every day and that you teach your students, your kids, the people around you? Yeah. So, so one of my main principles is living every day. Like it's my last, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that's a big one. Do I do that every single day? Uh, I can be honest and say no, but mm-hmm. I do it most of the time because there's days that I get caught up just like everybody else. Yes. Um, but that is one of my main principles. And on occasion, I have to remind myself, the other one is doing the best I can. Mm. So anything that I do in life, whether it's being a parent, um, a husband or a coach, an entrepreneur or whatever aspect it is, I do the best I can. Um, yes, because that's what helps give us value in life. You know, when we give, put that effort in and even if we don't get the result that we're looking for, at least mm-hmm. we can say, you know what? I gave it my best. Yes. And that's, uh, the other thing is making, making this world a better place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be huge. It could just be impacting one person. It could have be giving one person a smile yes. because we have 7 billion people on this planet. And if we just did one good thing for somebody else, one other person, it just has a massive ripple effect. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so these are just simple principles that I live by. Um, other principles is, uh, you know, I meditate daily, for example. Mm. I, I practice traditional mindfulness techniques. I learn. I'm an avid learn, like just learner and reader. And uh, from a growth perspective, I'm always competing with myself to be a better person. Yes, so those are my fundamental principles there. For other people, you know, this is where there's a line because I'm, I'm you could say, a super high achiever when it comes to certain things. Mm-hmm. And I'm very cautious here to not push my beliefs or my principles in other people. Yes. Because I think it can be a little bit dangerous, especially when you're in a position of being a coach or a consultant um, or an authority because there's some people, I'm not going to say that they can't handle it, but they just haven't conditioned themselves to get to that point. Mm. And they totally can. But, you know, these are things that I learned since I was a kid. Like I was, my first job was at nine years old. Mm -hmm. I'd be working 10, 12 hours a day, for example, while other kids would have summer vacations. That's what I would be doing. I would challenge myself in certain aspects um, that, uh, that have led me to where I am today. So I think there's a balance there. I think the most important thing from a principle that I try to teach other people is they have to find what makes them happy Mm. and they have to live by that. So whatever it is for them, they have to search for that. And a lot of times it's right in front of them, but that is the biggest thing because I think this is the, you can say the challenge with today's society, especially with what's happening uh, with the social media, the sheer amount of information out there, influencers, 
that there's so many people, I'm seeing this in, on a daily basis constantly, that people are uh, not living fulfilled lives because they're constantly comparing themselves. Yes. And yeah, they're that's, saying, that's the big one. <laughs> yeah, and this, this happens for guys. And this is actually very prominent for guys these days because they feel like they have to hit a certain level of success in order to be happy. Mm. And that's actually impacting women now too. It's not just men. Because yes. men, women are being trained to be, uh, for example, be, be a, a perfect mom, a perfect career woman, you know, keep your household together. So there's a lot of expectations on both sides. Yeah, to be superwoman in that case. Exactly. Yes. And so there's a lot of these false, you can say, stereotypes that are impacting people in society. But to go back to your question of, about principles, I think every person needs to live by principles that make them happy. Yes. Whatever those are. Agreed. Agreed. That's um, one of the biggest things that I think the way that I, I language it, what you just said in terms of doing what makes you happy is it, everybody walks their own path and it's up to you to walk the path of your happiness, whatever that means to you. And it's, uh, it's interesting because that, that, that whole explanation brought up a few topics that, that I think are really important, but one of which is actually the first time I listened to your podcast, Purdue. Um, by the way, just for the listeners, what is your podcast called just so they have a... Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's the Male Entrepreneur Podcast. The Male Entrepreneur Podcast. So make yeah. sure that you guys go check it out. That's Pradeep's podcast. He's got some solid content on there. The first episode I listened to, which got me hooked and made me want to bring him on as a guest was one called Fake Ass Coaches. <laughs> so I really liked it, especially because I've been in the coaching space for a while, but it also reflected back on this whole idea of philosophy, especially in Stoicism. And there was a Stoic philosopher named Seneca who would talk about philosophy and what its role is in your life. And philosophy is not designed to get you something external. Rather, it is something that you use to kind of wash away the disempowering beliefs that you might have, the disempowering perceptions, the uh, kind of like the way when you do a fast, how your body gets rid of dead or damaged cells. Philosophy does that for your mind and your thoughts with things that are no longer empowering you, things that are no longer useful, that have, they've lost their utility, so to speak. And one of the things that I, I get about it is that philosophy is not supposed to make you a superior person per se. It just allows you to deal with your own reality and existence better. And where it ties into that episode about fake ass coaches is that I believe when you have people who resemble a quote unquote fake ass coach, it's one of, it's a person who is essentially pontificating for the purpose of being superior and experiencing what uh, the term that I like to call spiritual egotism. So what is your take on that, Pradeep? Because I'm, I'm very curious. <laughs> yeah, wow. This is, is uh, kind of like the, the Pandora's box there yes. when it comes to that. I think, you know, I'm a big practitioner and follower of spirituality for my own good mm. um, because I learned that from my grandfather. Yes. My grandfather was a military man. He spent 30 plus years in the military, but he was also the most, you can say, spiritual man I know. His, yes. his father was a spiritual teacher for 50 years back in India. Mm. And, and so I learned the spiritual side from my grandfather. Whatever teachings it is, it was, it was really about the mindfulness and living the life that basically just taking life as it is, right? Yes. And accepting it and mm -hmm. being joyful about it, regardless of whether it's good or bad, the ugly, just taking it for what it is. I, when it comes to spirituality, it's really interesting because 
I find people, and this is where uh, mindfulness and spirituality has really been commercialized a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of people saying, hey, look, buy my course and you'll be able to manifest things and do all that kind of stuff, which is great. But mm-hmm. it's, te- it's giving people a false hope because yes. you don't meditate to get things. You meditate to be able to accept your reality, to live with your reality in a more present state. Yes. Love and I think, that. And I, and I think that's the challenge that people are facing these days. And it's because it's so easy to talk stuff and to get people uh, influenced that even people that are following spirituality, I find, are uneasy these days. Mm-hmm. Because they're trying to meditate to get something and they're not getting it. Uh, and then they meditate more and it's just a, it's just a constant cycle. Yes. And so uh, to go back to your question, I, I think it's just been really... Um, I, I, if I can say the word bastardized mm-hmm. um, in, in a lot of aspects, it's just, you know, I wish, here's my wish. I just, I wish people would just be able to live in the moment more. I think yes. that's, I think that's the thing for me. Um, if I could just sum it up is for me, spirituality is just living in the moment. Yes. hundred percent. I am the, the way that I've always defined it. And the only way to truly live in the moment in, in Zen, there's this saying uh, by Dogen, uh, who is a Japanese grandmaster, where he said to study Zen is to study the self and to study the self is to forget the self. Mm-hmm. And what I find really profound about that is that when you're truly in the moment, it's no longer a victor doing this podcast. It's not a per deep as a guest on the podcast. It is simply the moment of the conversation that's happening. And that level of presence is uh, in my view, that that's my my take on spirituality, very similar to what you're saying here. And what I find interesting about it is that my definition of the ego is the ego is the illusion of separation. There are good things about it in the sense that it gives us a sense of individuality. It allows us to create a narrative and have personal experiences. But at, at the end of the day, it's the illusion. And the spirituality being totally present in the moment is the disillusion of separation. And going back to what you were saying about one of the principles that you follow and that you'll even teach is to do what makes you happy. Happiness is not attained by achieving goals. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure you know this and you've seen this, you've experienced this as, as I have as well. And one, the way that I look at the, the whole attainment of goals and ambitions and being a high performer is so that you can create a machine, a system a set of circumstances that allow you to be even more present, but not thinking to yourself that all those results are going to equal happiness because ultimately happiness is this unattached state of being totally present. And it's like a butterfly comes. You don't try to catch it. You just embrace it. Exactly. And it's really interesting because there's been a lot of, you can say research done on happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And again, this is a big topic. Uh, because what is happiness, right? Um, it, it's it's really interesting when you peel back the layers and you and you take a look at this. But there's four mm-hmm. things from a studies and a research perspective that have people can confidently say now that these are what impact happiness. If you want to be happier, these are the four things. Mm-hmm. One is having faith or spirituality in something. Yes, a belief in something from that standpoint. The second is relationships, the quality of the relationships that you have with people. Mm. The third is nature. So spending time in nature. Um, and I can say for me, I, I 
that for me is probably the one is the biggest thing that has changed or influenced my life throughout the years mm -hmm. and how I grew to be, uh, you can say a mindful person um, yes. to the degree that I like to think I am mm -hmm. is, is being raised on an orchard and yes. spending most of my life on an orchard where it was a lot of times just me and the trees around me. That's it. No other human being around me. It was just nature, birds, the, the trees. And I can see why the Japanese talk about the cherry blossoms because we were in that environment growing up and seeing all these cherry blossoms. And you're like, wow, this is, this is perfection, right? Mm -hmm. um, so nature is, is core importance there. And then gratitude. Yes. Right? Those are the four things. If, if, have gratitude for the appreciation for the things in your life. You do, if, if you tap into those four aspects of life, your happiness, your joyful levels will definitely increase. Oh, 100%. I mean, it, each one of those four areas that you just described, I feel really pinpoints or at least brings you back into your own humanity, right? Believing in something because, you know, it, the ideal of, of nihilism, especially when things don't go your way, can be quite tempting at times to think that everything is pointless, nothing has meaning. So to believe in something in your existence to have faith in the human experience, I think is really powerful um, to just keep you grounded in yourself. Having those quality relationships reminds you that as a human being, you are a social animal. You need people. <laughs> Everybody who says this, I don't need anybody. I can do it all myself. Like it's a bunch of BS at the end of the day. <laughs> like we all need each other to some degree. Um, and, and that's, it's really important to remember that fact that, you know, as human beings, we are a social animal. We, we need one another. We, we are compelled to help one another. And it brings about that sense of fulfillment. Um, being in nature, I mean, that pretty much is self-explanatory. Just being a part of your, your nature, your, your reality. I, I always do this meditation with my students where in Stoicism, it's called the view from above. And it's a meditation that Marcus Aurelius, the uh, Roman emperor at the time, took the advice from Plato and he kind of just imagines himself get, getting higher and higher, like spiraling outward, seeing himself, his family, his community, the entire country, and then the whole world. And then the cosmos realizing that he is a part of all of it. And to just get in touch with nature and have that present experience, especially in your case around the cherry blossoms um, is just a really profound realization of true perfection, which is what, what is, and then the gratitude, which is the focus on what you have and what you can control, brings us back into that very present state rather than needing and wanting and extending ourselves or attaching ourselves to, thing, to things for a sense of validation. So I love that you covered those four because these are key and it, a really, really simple way for somebody to understand and take with them after listening to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Very nice. So in your perspective, Pradeep, if for somebody who's listening to this podcast, who maybe is a, a professional or a business owner who is essentially lost in their work, they've forgotten how to, have, how to have time for themselves as a man, how to have time for their family, what would you suggest that they start with? What's a, what's a good starting point for them? Well, the, the first thing is um, the desire. You know, I think that mm -hmm. has to be it. There has to be a desire to do something differently. And take a look at, and when, I, when we talk about goals, having goals are important. Most people have goals in their business. Very few have goals in their relationship or in their personal life. 
Mm. or with their family as a father, for example. So it's important to have those goals because that is going to be able to take you away from your business. You need to be taken away from your business. Otherwise, you're going to spend more time in it because we as human beings, especially men, are goal-driven. Mm-hmm. And so we will move in that direction. We will constantly be caught up in that thought of where's the next goal? How do I achieve it? So having that goal, and I, I personally do this. I have a goal with my kids, for example, when I want to shut it, shut off work, mm-hmm. I have a goal to say, okay, my goal is just to make my kids laugh for the next 10 minutes. Yes. My goal is just to romanticize my wife for the next 10 minutes mm-hmm. um, or make her feel special. So having that goal is an important piece. And the, a, a lot of the reasons why we can't get away from work is because our brain, if we have an unfinished task, task mm-hmm. our brain ruminates over that. Yes. So I highly recommend at the end of the day or at whatever point in time you want to shut work off and then go spend time with your family, that you finish that task. Even create a new task if you have to, just so you can finish it, a small one, a super small one, so you can say, I did it, I'm done. Because if you don't say that, your brain will constantly say, okay, that task is undone. I need to go back to that. Yes. And, and I've, I've, I've certainly had that experience myself. And, and for those of you listening, Pradeep practices this. I've, I asked him to have the podcast on Friday. He said, nope, I'm with my kids for the Friday afternoon through the weekend. No work whatsoever. So this man is congruent with what he's saying here. And it's, it's a very simple task that somebody can simply just take, take some direction and, and take this on. Yeah, and it has to be a habit. And, mm-hmm. and that's the biggest thing. I think what we realize with our brain, and that's why I talk about neuroscience so much, because it's important for people to understand themselves understand how their brain operates because everything that we've done is based on the brain pattern that we've created. So if you worked in your business for 10 years and that's how you've basically conditioned yourself, well, you have Mm -hmm. to uncondition yourself. You have to break those connections. And so it's important. It's almost like an addiction to alcohol. You have to sometimes just do a clean turkey, like a clean cut and say, okay, I'm done. Like I got to shut work off and I got to move forward. But there's another tech technique I I teach people how to use too. So one is you set your goals for your family Mm -hmm. after work. The other one is you finish the task of work at that point in time. And then the third one is having what we call symbolism, which is having a tradition to do something that tells your brain that I'm on to the next chapter. So, for example, when I'm done at the end of the day, the, when I trigger my brain to say, now I'm in family mode, I go take a shower. Mm. So, that tells my brain, okay, it's on to the next stage. Yes. So, have some kind of tradition, whatever it is, that you just basically do that tells your brain, I'm moving over to the next stage. And so, you're just training your brain differently. And so people say, I can't get away from work or, you know, I constantly think about work. It's just because you've trained yourself that way. You just have to untrain or create better patterns to break that old habit. That's powerful. The symbolism, because it's something so simple. It's not like this crazy ritual that is going to take you an hour just to switch over. It's something as simple as a shower. And that's like, okay, the workday is done on to family. And yep. you're creating that boundary in a, in a very visceral way because, you know, it's an experience that you feel. It's not just words that you say in your head. Exactly. Very interesting. And um, one thing before we wrap up, I did want to ask you about just on that topic around boundaries, because I feel as though in, in your line of work, working with men, 
there are men out there who they have a servant's heart. They're providers. And sometimes they allow their boundaries to get crossed consistently. What would you suggest for somebody who doesn't really exercise their boundaries and what that does to them mentally and emotionally? Okay. So let me just clarify here. You're saying perhaps someone might be taking advantage of them. Yeah. I know a lot of high achieving guys who they give their heart and soul to their business, to their employees, to their family, and they never end up having time for themselves. They don't know how to draw those boundaries. And you have these, this symbolism to draw the boundaries, which I think is really cool. But what would you suggest for somebody who maybe feels like they've not exercised their boundaries? Yeah. Well, so first of all, I would say a lot of the men, majority of the men that I work with, for example, I, eight out of 10 men, they do everything for their families. Yes. Like it's pretty much, they live for their families. They're there to provide, they're provide that experience, that quality of life. And they've sacrificed themselves. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's what we're taught as as men. You know, you basically provide for your family, even if you have to give up your soul. Right? Yes. Uh, so I would say that's a very dangerous position to be in because you only have a finite amount of energy um, and resources, unless you know how to tap into it. That's a whole other conversation. But you have to be able to energize yourself yes. in order to provide. Mm-hmm. So that is the biggest thing to remember. Is and burnout is such. Uh, a huge thing that happens to men. It's very prevalent in men because mm-hmm. they would rather burn out than get help or, or, or um, take a vacation or whatever it is. So remember that if you want to continue on that path and if you're the provider for your family, well, even if your wife is working, whatever the situation is, you have to be in tip-top shape. Right? Oh, yeah. You're representing your family. Your kids are looking up to you. Your wife is looking up to you. So having that, that level of energy is important. And in order to get that level of energy, you have to do things that energize you. You yes. have to be somewhat selfish mm. and take that time out and energize. So a burnout is essentially energy out is greater than energy in. Yes. And a lot of guys are, are tiptoeing on that balance. Like they're not burnt out. They're, they won't admit that they're burnt out, but they're getting close. Mm-hmm. So don't get into that point because if you want to perform even better, you have to have a high level of energy. So yes. recharge, I had to learn this myself because I, what I used to do was I used to say, well, I'm going to earn the time to spend with my family uninterrupted. That's a very mm. dangerous situation to be in because yes. I had to constantly achieve to say, I deserve this time to spend with my kids. No, mm. my kids need that time. That's selfish of me to say that. Yes. And so I had to restructure my thinking pattern from that standpoint and say, no, I don't need to earn it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I deserve it. My kids deserve it. So I, yes. I structure my day differently as a result of that. So every guy has to do that too in terms of figuring out. And I, I, this is a very, you can say, practical um, exercise is there's three columns. You take a piece of paper, you carve out three columns. On the far left, you say, okay, what gives you energy? You write mm-hmm. down all the things that you do throughout the day. Do this for a week. It's going to be a little bit painstaking, but the more precise you are, accurate you are, you're actually going to find some patterns. In mm-hmm. the middle is neutral. These things that you do throughout the day, they don't take away from energy, but they don't necessarily give you energy. And then the right-hand side, things that take away from your energy. And then you have to figure out, okay, where is all your energy going? And are you actually doing things that are energizing you? 
because a battery can only be used for so long before it drains out. Yes. And so I, I like that. That's profound, very simple, very practical. And so we need to just exercise that and just realize that the more energy that we have, and again, we're getting into the realm of energy and spirituality, the more energy that we have as, as a man, it, the more energy we can give to others, the more energy we can give to our spouse, the more energy that we can give to our kids. It's a real thing. They can feel the energy off you. They yes. thrive off that energy. Mm-hmm. As, so, yeah, as, as the alpha of the family, the provider, you set the tone. Exactly. So that's why this is important for guys. And just to bring it back to, again, your original question is to acknowledge and realize that by giving yourself time, having those boundaries, you're actually not only doing things for yourself, but you're doing things for your family. Mm. Right? So the boundaries are, are beyond just protecting yourself. It protects the people that you love and the time they get with you. Exactly. If you think about it from this standpoint, this is just a, an interesting thing from an alpha standpoint. Mm-hmm. If you take a look, or even um, the, 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 let's just say the, the male, alpha male in a um, lion pride. Mm-hmm. Well, they have to eat first. I'm not necessarily be selfish, you know, don't let your kids eat or stuff like that, right? But they eat first because they need to be the strongest to protect yes. the family. That's how you have to take a look at it for yourself. You take that time to energize yourself, be the best man that you can be so that you can give the best life for your family and the people around you. Beautiful. I absolutely love that. All of this is incredibly helpful, especially for anybody who feels as though they're not putting up those boundaries. You got to remember that the boundaries, they're not just for you. They're for the people that you love. They allow you to recharge yourself and to remember that you are this you are the source of all the good that you do for everybody else and you cannot allow the source to be depleted so taking Pradeep's advice here doing that exercise making those three columns what gives you energy what's neutral what takes away energy and start to notice those patterns love that exercise i think i'm going to even implement that myself after this podcast (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome good stuff so uh just just before we wrap up here pretty where can they find you and who should be seeking you out um, if they need help on some of the topics that we talked about here yeah awesome i appreciate that so uh, you can find me at uh you can check out my podcast themaleentrepreneur.com or go to purdeepsanga.com which is my website or you can reach out to me on um, I'm almost on every single social media platform aside from TikTok. That one's kind of odd. Um, <laughs> that's a strange one for me. Check that one out. It's kind of weird. But you can find me. I'm more than happy to respond if you reach out to me personally. But anybody that is uh, wanting to achieve more from a perspective of fulfillment or business results, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I actually have, there's a, a ton of women that follow as well and reach out every once in a while. Uh, not only to get insight about themselves, but also to get insight on their significant other. Excellent. Pradeep, thank you so much for being here, man. It's been an honor having this conversation with you. Love that we got into the philosophy, the spirituality aspect of this, because it it all came full circle and provided a well-rounded understanding of where there's time for work, where there's time for family, where there's time for spirituality. So thank you so much for being on the Zen Stoic Podcast. And thank you again, Victor, for having me. I, tru- I truly, truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right. Hope I hope everybody here enjoyed this episode. If you guys have any questions for Pradeep, make sure that you reach out to him on social media. He is 
super awesome to talk to, very open and always very helpful and gracious with, uh, with answering any questions. So thank you again, Pradeep. Thank you, Victor.